Morning, everybody. Nice to see you today. When you pray, what does it sound like? Like when you pray, do the Muslims and the gays and the unwed mothers make it into your prayers? We're in a series these days called, What If We're Different? And the whole idea is, you know, we we have neighbors and we're called to love our neighbors, but sometimes our neighbors are different from us and we find that it's easier to love our neighbors when they're like us or when they like us. But it's harder to love our neighbors when they're different from us. When you pray, what does it sound like? So one day Jesus was... um, engaged with a man who was an expert in the law. Today we would call him a lawyer, but he was an expert in the law of Moses. And he came to Jesus and he was asking him about the commandments. So you know about the commandments. You know, do you know about the Big Ten? You know those, yeah? Could you name them? Never mind, that's a different story. Do you know about the great two? See, the, see, the lawyer was like, can you, can you just narrow it down? Jesus goes, there's 10. He goes, yeah, could you make it more narrow than that? He goes, well, there's two. There's two great ones. The great commandment, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And a second one is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's Jesus calling to us. That's his commandment to us. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But as followers of Jesus, we, haven't, we don't have all that great of a track record in that. The Crusades come to mind. The Holocaust comes to mind. And I know you go, no, 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 no. I wasn't there for those. I wasn't involved in that. If I'd been there, I never would have been involved in that. Really, those Jesus followers had the exact same commands that we do. And so it just seems like if we don't study these commands and diligently practice them, we will end up in the same place they did. And so we're inviting people into our gatherings these days to talk to them, to get to know them, to say, we think it's really important to know you because we want to love you. And it's so hard to love someone that you don't know. And I have to say, before we go on to our next guest today, I have to say how proud I am of you, how proud I am of our church, and how you're loving those who are our guests who are coming in among us. I received, so last weekend, if you weren't here, last weekend we hosted the imam from the mosque next door. His name is uh, Amir Nazir, and he actually was with us, and we talked about what their faith looks like and those kinds of things. And uh, I got an I got a email note from Amir on Monday morning, and he's, I won't read you the whole note, but here's part of what he said. Brad, this weekend was surely one of the best experiences I have ever had in my life. The warmth, love, and respect I was given at Lakeside Church was overwhelming, sincere, and heartfelt. Peace and blessings, Amir. Like, right on, you guys. That's amazing. Because I know that when we're bringing people in who are different from us and have different theology than we have and different practices and different beliefs than we have, I know what that does in your... uh, chest cavity. (laughs) I know what goes on in here. Why do you think we're bringing them in? 
so that something goes on in here and we have a chance to think about it and interact with it and interact with them and get to know them so that we learn to love them. That's our calling. Last weekend, we gave an offering to the Ar Razak Food Bank. We said, just, just to honor our friend Amir and to honor our neighbors, uh, the, the Muslim community of Folsom next door, let's just give an offering. We gave $4,200 to the food bank at Ar Razak last weekend. <laughs> right on. And that, that's you saying, you know what? There are human beings who need food. And it can come through the Twin Lakes Food Bank, which we, we support them a lot. And it can come through the Arizak Food Bank. And we can give to that to honor our friends. It's beautiful. And yet, that stuff goes on in our soul when we're hearing the story, doesn't it? I got another uh, email from a lakesider. Again, I won't read the whole letter, but let me read a portion of, of this to you. This came in my email on Monday. Yesterday's discussion with the imam was truly amazing. I was looking forward to the discussion, albeit a bit nervous about how he'd be received by the rest of our congregation. (laughs) Pretty hopeful right there. (laughs) I'm going to do good. I don't know how these other yahoos are going to (laughs) do. And then he says, and then you introduced the imam and in walked the opposite of what I had expected to see. I had expected an elderly, wise-looking cleric. I assume like what he normally sees when, he stand, when someone stands up here on the weekend. <laughs> but in walked a young, bearded Muslim who was the spitting image of the radical Islamic men we've been seeing on the news recently, and my heart twisted a bit as I felt an unexpected emotion. Fear. At which point I realized I had my own work to do on figuring out how to better love my neighbor. And he goes on to talk about how he processes what he was he- processed what he was hearing uh, that morning, and then he finishes with this: As I left the service, I met the imam in our foyer and gave him a hug, and it felt very much like reconciling with a brother whom I've had years of grievances with, whom I've had years of grievances on both sides. Obviously, this is just a first step. There's so much more work to do, both within myself and within our community, but the first step is often the most important. Thank you for helping us take it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the calling. Even when they're different. And I know stuff goes on in here when we go through the conversation. Someone else talked to me in the lobby last week and and raised... what for her was a gut-wrenching question. She said, this morning, was Jesus here or was the devil here? And it's a legit question that many of us ask. And I'll tell you what I tried to share with her in the lobby. Today, our room was filled with people who are followers of Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus takes up residence in your soul. So Jesus was here today. And Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done for me. So in that sense, again, Jesus was here today. 
And we're to keep leaning in and keep pressing forward to say, how do we love our neighbors who are different from us? And we have to hear them. We have to know them to be able to love them. And we're going to keep after it as we try and do this together. Today, uh, we have the privilege to have or to be able to hear from Rabbi, Rab, Rabbi Yossi Grossbaum. Uh, he is the spiritual leader of the synagogue across the street. I don't know if you know there's a synagogue across the street. It's called the Chabad Jewish Community Center. And Yazi is the rabbi at that center. Uh, rabbi is part of this group called Chabad. And it's, it's really probably the most directly descended group from the Pharisees in the New Testament. Now, they had a lot of issues with Jesus, but one of the things that was true that I think Jesus always respected about them was the passion that they had in their faith, the passion they had for their God. And you'll see that in uh, Rabbi Yazi as he speaks to us today. Now, he's not going to be with us because uh, his, uh, his practice of his faith has certain constraints on it for him and what he can do and what he can't do. And one of the things he can't do is come into a room like this where, where it's dedicated to prayer and worship. And it's not worshiping God as they understand it, and so he's not able to come in to be with us. So back in April, he agreed to do an interview with me on video. So this one's going to be a video recording, and I'm just going to ask him questions about his faith and his practice and how does it relate to us and how do we get to know him so that we can learn to love our neighbors. So enjoy the conversation with Rabbi Yossi Grossbaum. We're here with Rabbi Yossi Grossbaum. So, yeah, I'm so yeah, Rabbi Yossi Grossbaum, Chabad Jewish Community Center. We are currently somewhat under the radar, but the plan is that hopefully sooner rather than later, you'll be able to give directions around town based on our location. All right. Good. <laughs> well, I noticed when we came in that you didn't have yeah. a sign up on the main part of the, the yeah. front of your building. Is that intentional or? Um, it's intentional, but it's not for the reasons that people think. Okay. Many people think that it's because we're, we don't want people to know where we are and we kind of want to stay under the radar and out of sight. And that's far from the reason. I'm, that's not at all the intention. The intention is the main motivation for me to get a sign up there, even though I, I think the money could be spent better, better spent in other places, is because people think that we're trying to hide. Mm. And I don't like that. Yeah. Do you face persecution or right. challenges? Mm -hmm from an anti-Semitic point of view or right. simply being different than what most people look like right. or dress like? So I, I, in general, I'm very averse to interpreting people's questions or behaviors to attributing it to some type of hostility. So even if someone will, will say something that could be interpreted negatively or wrongly, I'll, my knee-jerk reaction is to assume that it's, there's nothing behind it and it was just a, an innocent question or an innocent whatever. So... That's just my personality, I man. That's the way I like to. That's just the way I am. Um, but you have a lot of people within the Jewish community, and I think it's a. This is a little bit of a critique, self-critique, if you will. There is a little bit of that type of mindset, and it's not doesn't come out of nowhere. I mean, the reality is that right. over thousands of years, Jewish people have faced, you know, real serious persecution. It's not like uh, it's not like it's uh, imagined. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, in this in this part of the world, I mean, we really we're really not. Or, I mean, we're blessed that we're we're not facing uh, any type of real persecution. Yeah, good. Yeah. As a 
as a member of our community, I'm grateful to hear that. Yeah. It's beautiful. So, our... so actually, I, I view it as a fulfillment of a biblical prophecy. Oh, tell about that. <laughs> no, I mean, it's because it, it does, it talks about when Mashiach comes, when the time of redemption arrives, that the world will be a peaceful world. And obviously the world not yet entirely peaceful. Yeah. But we can't expect the entire world to, to be peaceful before our, on a smaller scale, in just neighborhoods and between people where, where there's a sense of peace and an ability to coexist and to live together. Yeah. But the reality is, I mean, history, anyone that's a student of history will, will, will know that for significant, right now it's still the majority of Christian history, Christians were major perpetrators of, of, of persecution against the yeah. Jewish community. And that's changed, thankfully, over the past hundred years. It means now it's virtually non-existent, if at all. Of course, there's still challenges out there and there's still areas that need to be fixed and the world is not yet perfect, but that is a major, uh, a major deal. You know, that's, that's a, I, in my eyes, it's a sign of the, the redemptions coming closer. So we're, our goal is to learn about your faith yeah. and your experience of your faith mm -hmm. and help our people at Lakeside Church to understand. Sure. Tell us about your expectation for a Messiah or for the Messiah. It's pretty much what it says in the, in the text. Expectation is that there'll be an individual who's a descendant of King David um, who will be uh, proficient in Torah and teach Torah and wage the wars of God. Um, you can discuss whether that's literal or metaphoric, but that's, that's what it says. Um, but primarily we'll, be, we'll usher in an era of world peace, knowledge of God, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, gather all the Jewish people from all over the world back into Israel. And those are, those are the expectations, the primary expectations. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your weekly gathering. So you yeah. come together on Saturday, well, on we, a Sabbath day, and right. you have a, a, a gathering and a process that you go through together with yeah. the people. Well, in a, I'd say a more established Jewish community, you actually have prayers that take place on a ongoing basis, on a daily basis, three times a day. So I personally pray three times a day. Many people in the community pray three times a day, but as a community to get everyone together, or to at least to get enough people together to pray, um, we do that only. Uh, we have Thursday morning services as well, um, but which ideally would be every morning of the week, but it's only th we only do Thursday morning right now, and um, and Saturday mornings. So we get together in the morning. We study. We study the weekly Torah portion, a section of the Torah that we're studying that week, and that's uh, about 45 minutes. We study some of the text. We don't get through the whole thing. We study just a few main parts to kind of get a sense of the main themes of the Torah portion, um, share some insights, answer questions, discussion, and then we have uh, about two and a half hours worth of prayer. Um, the prayers include primarily quotes from Psalms and other, uh, other parts of Scripture, in between, we have, in between the various sections of the prayer, it's structured in such a way that you have um, a section called the Amida. The Amida is a, literally means the word Amida means standing, and there's two of those. And then between the two, we have the Torah reading. So we take out the Torah scroll, the original um, handwritten scroll written on parchment made by um, by an expert scribe, and we read it from the Hebrew text. Um, participants. Some of them follow along in the Hebrew. Many are not proficient enough in Hebrew to follow the Hebrew, so they follow along in the English text. That's translation. 
and um, actually the, the version that we use has actually commentary built into the translation so you can see the bold print has the actual literal translation of the words and the non-bold is commentary so it's it gives someone that's reading it a, a complete sense of what's going on they're not just verses that are a little hard to piece together sometimes so we would have a lot of people that probably don't know what Torah means Torah, Torah literally means instruction um, it's the word that we use to refer to the Bible or more specifically um, the five books of Moses the first five books of, of Scripture um, that's when you refer to Torah that's usually what is specifically being referenced more loosely Torah could be just about any Jewish teaching and you treat the the, the actual text, the scroll of the Torah, mm. with huge reverence. Yes. Describe the, you know, what's the what's the uh, mentality behind that? Why do you treat it so reverently? Right. Well, first of all, the we view the Torah as God's word, mm -hmm. and it's not something that someone heard and recorded at some point, but it's actually literally the word that the words that God communicated to Moses to transcribe. So God. Um, spoken, Moses transcribed these words. Um, the way it's written, it, when it's written, handwritten, it has the what's called the tetragrammaton. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. used in your world. Well, most but, of our people wouldn't understand. We, we mm -hmm. don't know that, right. so but that's you can the, describe that. So that's the uh, name of God as it's written in the Torah. It's a four-letter name of God, which um, which has a significant major holiness associated with it, and once you have a Torah scroll, once it's written properly with God's name included in it, there's actually laws associated with how you can't just mistreat it. It has to be treated in a very particular way. It's very holy. If, if it drops on the floor, um, anyone that's in the room has to fast. Oh. Um, yeah. So you're very careful and, not to drop it. No, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so at the end of the Torah reading, it's always what the Torah is read, lifted. The Torah scroll itself is lifted above the the crowds, everyone, to, to, just to get a glimpse of the text itself. What was it like to start the Jewish center here? So we're, we're part of the Chabad movement. Chabad is a, in its original source, is a Hasidic group. Um, after the Holocaust, the leader of the Chabad movement realized that something has to be done to reinvigorate the Jewish world. There's about 14 million Jews around the world today, and that's not yet matching the Jewish population before World War II, before wow. the Holocaust. So yeah. we're talking a significant, you know, major hit to the Jewish world. The leader of the Chabad movement basically began this, this outreach program. Hasidic groups typically are very insular and very much based around their own community and focused on strengthening and building their own community from within. The Rebbe, the leader of the Chabad movement after the Holocaust, basically saw that something that has to be done, an emergency, needs to, there needs to be a, ma a major shift in the attitude and instead of focusing inward we have to focus outward and basically turn Chabad movement into a, an outreach, Jewish outreach organization. So we don't, we don't go out trying to convert people to Judaism, we go out trying to encourage Jews to re-engage in their Jewish heritage. Okay. Many, many Jewish people today are raised without Jewish education or with a very minimal Jewish education and they don't know the, very, the basics of Judaism. Um, they definitely don't know how, how to live as a Jew and what it means, the significance, the, the depth behind it. Is that, so, is that frustrating to you? Is it frustrating to me? Yeah. Um, I kind of was 
born into a world where that's the reality. So okay. it's like I never really saw the difference between okay. the two, to be honest. So, but it is frustrating in a way because because um, it's hard to communicate the value of, of Judaism and the, and, and the depth of Judaism to someone who thinks that they that they experience Judaism, they know what it's about because they're Jewish and they've mm -hmm. gone, they had a bar mitzvah, mm -hmm. but they never began to really get a a, a a sense of the real depth and the meaning behind it. But it's also rewarding because at the same time, when we do engage such a person and we do get them to have a, a get a sense, a glimpse of the value and the and the depth and the meaning behind what it is to be a Jew, um, suddenly you see that their eyes light up and they're amazed. Yeah, because we have the exact same experience mm -hmm. in the Christian faith. Uh -huh. when people go. Well, I was baptized as an infant, right? And and maybe I went to catechism or something, right. Right. and then they, or or they had confirmation, mm -hmm. and then they never went any further, right. and they don't right. they don't know what the even right. maybe what the background of their own faith right. is, right? So let me ask about yeah. the name of God. Mm -hmm. You don't, I don't think you pronounce the name of God or right. say the name of God. Well, it depends. There's, there's a number of names of God, okay, that the Torah uses. There's a whole bunch of different names. Some of them are considered. Ineffable, you know, holy names. In other words, that they that they're not supposed to be just said when you. I shouldn't say ineffable, but they shouldn't be pronounced just for the fun of it, just yeah. like in conversation. Right. Only in the proper context. Only when you study reading from the Torah. Only when you're reading uh, from a prayer or something like that. But there's one name which is uh, the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of God, which is spelled Yud Hey Vav and Hey. And I actually said an and between the Vav and the Hey because you're not even supposed to spell it out. Okay. Oh, um, okay. And that's not pronounced the way it's written, because that that was only pronounced the way it's written, the way it's originally written in the Torah. It was only pronounced in the temple in Jerusalem by the priests. Okay. Um, so anywhere outside of that context is considered inappropriate. Is that a, is that in response to the commandment, "Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain"? Well, that's don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain is true in any any of the names of God. Right, well, okay. not any single, every single one. There are some that are not, the seven, if I remember correctly, that, that fall into that category okay. of holiness, that level of holiness. Yeah, when we're talking in, in conversation, you wouldn't say the name of God either. You would say Hashem. Hashem means the name. Oh, the name. That's what, that's okay. what, uh, so it's a very common thing. You say Baruch Hashem, blessed is God. Yeah. But that literally means blessed is the name. Okay. When you treat something as holy as you treat the name of God, does mm -hmm. that do something in your soul? Does that do something in your heart? Right. Or in your I, I'm in your sure spirit? it does. I'm sure it does. But I think more than anything else, it, it gives a, a it gives us it gives an individual a sense of something which is um, greater than oneself. And uh, I think that's somewhat lacking now. I think everything there's, there's everything is I don't know if the right word is profane or not profane but mundane. But it's even that it's like. There's nothing out of reach. There's nothing that's out of touch. There's nothing that's beyond our realm. Yeah. And, and that in, in broader society, you know, in, in the culture, it's like I think there's a lack of a, a certain sense of holiness in, in the world. And um, recognizing, you know, having experience where you have a Torah scroll, which is not just taken out for any occasion. Mm -hmm. It's treated with ultimate respect. It's even, I mean, in the ark, the ark has two, a double layer of covering in front of it. In the ark itself, the Torah itself has a cover on top of it. Um, even though it's already behind two layers of covering, right? It's an added measure of of reverence and deference yeah. towards it. And I think getting, having that sense of something that's greater than you and something that's removed from your 
ability to manipulate and your ability to control, it gives a person a sense of uh, their place, you know, a bit of a humility, a bit of uh, recognizing there's something that they have to aspire towards, something greater than themselves, something that they have to live for, not just, it's not just me and what I want and my priorities and my preferences and there's something greater than myself. What do you believe is the most misunderstood aspect of Judaism yeah. to Jews? <laughs> to Jews? Depends which ones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. The, the uh, simplest, I think the most basic thing, is that it was good for our grandparents and it's irrelevant to us. Okay. We live in the modern era. What do we need it for? You know, we've got technology. We have space travel. What do we need? Religion. And religion was nice. And I think this is not only in the Jewish world. That's my sense. But there's this... Back in the day, you know, where they were uh, uneducated masses, they needed something to control them and to keep yeah. them in uh, in line. So religion was a good whatever. But today we have technology and we have all these wonderful uh, advances in society. We don't need it anymore. I think the biggest misunderstanding about the, the, Christ, the Christians, in kind of in a theological sense, I think the biggest misunderstanding comes from Christian doctrine. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, Christian doctrine, and correct me if I'm wrong, Go ahead. Because okay, I'm, not, I'm not a big scholar in Christian sure. doctrine. But the understanding, there's, there's this concept where in Christianity that basically human beings are flawed as, uh, uh, from birth, from uh, uh, nature, right. essentially flawed. Sinful beings that have to somehow uh, obtain salvation. Um, the original sort of the, 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 the prescription for salvation that the God gave was to observe the law. The practically speaking, it was demonstrated over the years that the that was impossible. That no one could actually live up to that. And so therefore God in his ultimate kindness gave us gave the world um, Jesus to be the the to take to be the embodiment of this salvation essentially. That's the way I understand it. Correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. That's pretty good, yeah. More or less? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So based on that belief system, based on that structure, so I think Christians have this, have this sense. They look at Jews and say, wow, you really think that you guys could obtain salvation in the original prescription that God gave all these laws, you know, these details and these de minute details you have to observe so precisely and all of that. And they look at it and they say, wow, you guys are really confident in yourselves, you know, just, I just really hope that you can live up to it because otherwise you guys are really, you know, yeah. you're in for a rude awakening, right? In Judaism, the, the, the Torah the, the, and the commandments of the Torah, the laws are, are first of all eternal, right? As well as that, there's, there's, no, there's no sense in, Jewish, in the Jewish world, there's no, there's no original sin, there's no um, human beings are are inherently flawed beings and not possible to connect to God. On the contrary, the, the, the attitude is that each person is close and has the ability to connect to God individually in an instant, in, in, without, without anything. They don't, need any, they don't need to do anything, essentially, other than turn to God. And when we look in the scripture, when we look in the prophets, we see that everywhere. Um, you know, return to God and our, return to me and I'll return to you, God. Mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. like an ongoing theme. Mm. If I can go on a little bit of a tangent, it's not a tangent completely, sure. but it's you know a little bit of a, a lesson. Yeah, go for it. Um, 
there's a there's a fascinating discussion in the in, in the Talmud. But there's a fascinating description of an individual who's described as having transgressed every sin in the book. Right? So he went and did everything deliberately. He was a, a rebellious individual, deliberately sought out to do every single sin that was possible to do. And um, he hears this heavenly voice call out and say, his name was Elazar ben Durdaya, that he is, for him to return to God, is as distant as east to west. So it says that he hears this, and something about that shook him to the core. And he puts it, says it describes, he puts his head between his knees, and he cried and he cried until his soul left, until he died. And then it says that a heavenly voice called out, which means this individual, is invited to the world to come. And in other words, his repentance, his return to God was accepted. At that moment, one of the great sages of the, of the Jewish world at the time heard this, observed this whole interaction, this whole back and forth, and he started crying and he says that there's, yesh achas. You understand what that means, right? <laughs> no. There's, there are, is, it's possible for an individual to acquire his portion of the world to come with one, in one moment. Now the Hebrew word shah literally means a moment or an hour or a period of time. Um, it also, and this is interesting about Hebrew, many words, depending on the context, exact same word can mean different things. It's a very interesting study. But uh, the word, the Hebrew word over here, shah, means a period of time, a short period of time. So he's expressing how this individual in a very, very short, small instant, just uh, last few moments of his life, returned to God and his, his return was accepted, his repentance was accepted. But it also means turn. And if you, it, it, it answers a very simple question of this whole discussion. On the first instant, the heavenly voice calls out and says, it's impossible for him to return. It says distant is east and west. It's the polar opposites. Impossible for him to return. Right? Then, he, the short act of repentance, he cries and he cries and he dies in this repentance, and suddenly, oh, now his repentance is accepted and his return is, is invited to the world to come. How does that work? First it says it's impossible, then it says that here he is. So the idea is that it's the, the word shah, meaning turn, not only a moment in time, when I'm facing east, right, for me to face west is just a turn. It's a 180 degree turn. Mm-hmm. I'm in the exact same location. I'm not, I haven't, my longitude and latitude is exactly the same but I'm facing a different direction. That's what counts. So at one point, he was facing the wrong direction. He was going towards sin and going further and deeper and distant, distant, distancing himself from God. With one turn, he was still in the exact same dirt, if you will. He was still in the exact same position, but he was facing another direction. Suddenly, his, that, that's what counts. His repentance was accepted. That's a great description of repentance. That's the, that's the Jewish perspective. That's awesome. Is there something, is there a message you'd like to give to the people of Lakeside Church? Is there something you'd like to say to the people of Lakeside Church? I think that there's, the, the, the basic thing that I think everybody needs to think about is the responsibility, and I think it's a responsibility on every single individual to be actively promoting the causes of goodness and kindness. Too often, people look at individuals like us and they say, well, they're the ones that have to do this. Yeah. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll pitch in once in a while when someone comes to them directly and says, you know, can you do this, this, and this? They'll say, you know, I need your help in this particular thing. And then they'll say, well, you know, I have time on Wednesday evenings from 7 to 8, and, but I have to run after that. You know? It has to be the mindset, I think, that people have to develop is, is a, in a certain sense, is a leadership mindset that I'm responsible 
to create the world that I want to live in. The environment that I would like this world to look like, that's what I have to, I have to be actively involved in creating that and not just expecting that it's going to be de delivered to me. And um, you can't just say, well, it's the politicians are messing things up or the community is this, that, or the other, and write things off. But take a, I don't mean that people should run for office and things like that. I yeah. think that people should make an effort to, to create an environment of goodness and kindness. Yeah, beautiful. Well said. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Let's do this again. Thank you. Yeah, I know we have more to talk about. <laughs>
which leads me to my last takeaway from the rabbi today, uh, is his description of repentance is fantastic right on the nose. It does not matter where you are. People go, well, when I get my life straightened out, then I'm going to get connected to God. You know, when I get my life squared away, then I'll connect up with Jesus because I'm not in the right space yet. And his description of that is beautifully accurate, I believe. It's not about where you are. It's just about, it's just about turning around. You were going one direction, now you're going another. You were facing one direction, and now you're facing another. That's repentance. That's what it looks like. Now, we believe that that repentance is possible because we have a mediator who went to the cross for us named Jesus. But the, but the story of repentance is just that. You're going one way, turn around and go the other. And you can make that decision for yourself in connection to Christ at any moment you want to. At any moment you're ready. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 is sort of been our theme verse as we've gone through our journey together in this series. The verse says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And in that, there's a beautiful definition of what love is. Love, number one, love takes the initiative. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. We just responded to his love. Well, other people can respond to our love if we will also initiate it. So love takes the initiative and gives or acts sacrificially to meet the needs of others. How can you, in your neighborhood, in your oikos, which is you know, our word for uh, the people in your network, whether people are like you or people are different from you, how can you take the initiative and act sacrificially to meet their needs? That's our calling. Next week, we're going to conclude this journey together uh, with one last talk. I've been saving the best for last. Or I've been saving the most frightening for last. I'm not really sure how this is going to go. Uh, next week, we're talking about our neighbors, the politicians. And we are literally in the house on this platform going to have two politicians. One is a California state assemblyman who is a Democrat and who is a follower of Jesus. And the other works for a uh, California assemblyman who is a Republican and a follower of Jesus. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating. I believe I really honestly believe this is the most significant conversation that has to happen in our culture today. If Christians can't figure out how to love one another when we disagree politically, there is no hope for love to win in the world. So we're going to hear some Jesus followers talk about politics and how does it work and how do we love our neighbor even when they're different from us. So come early next week and uh, bring friends with you. I'd love for them to hear what we're going to be talking about. I'd love for you to be able to hear what we're going to talk about and uh, we'll share that together. All right? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for taking the initiative with us. God's such a great merciful thing that you took the initiative to love us and to act sacrificially to meet the needs that we have. Thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus, our Messiah. 
uh, your anointed one who gave his life and then took it up again in resurrection. Thank you for all of that. Lord, we worship you together, and we ask that you would empower us and shape us and by your grace transform us into people who are so passionate about loving our neighbors that we change the world. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen.